The following programme is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. Only 20% of Americans accept the 66 books that are bound together in what we refer to as the Bible are actually the words of God. According to the Barna Research Group, it's a record low. 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God, and that's down from 24% the last time the question was asked back in 2017. And it's half of what it was at its high point in 1980 and the 1984 Barna poll results. We need to discuss this issue. Do we really have the word of God? Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey, if you're new to the Creation Today Show, we want to welcome you. We are a group of people from really all walks of life that are partnering together to create content and resources that answer people's questions about science and scripture. Our goal is to help people turn stumbling blocks like the questions or the doubts about God's word or the doubts about science into stepping stones where you can get answers and you can gain confidence in who God actually is. Now, our goal is for you to learn and then for you to share the truth with others as you go through life. Shout out to our Facebook, YouTube podcast and television audience. You guys are going to love today's conversation, okay? Uh, just a reminder, you guys are just one step away from partnering with what we do here, and we truly would be delighted to see you or your family or your business partner with Creation Today. Not only do you get access to the full conversation, but you get to interact with our guests, and they truly are amazing. So come on over to creationtoday.org partner to join us. Hey, to our Creation Day partners, what's up guys? I see you guys are already active in the chat. Appreciate you guys being on here. Wanna give a shout out to our new partners. I don't get to do this often, so I wanted to do that. So Erica and Thomas and Debbie and Stoney and Kathy and Eva and Kurt and Lynn and Paul and Layla and Benjamin and Teresa and Anthony, welcome. So glad you guys are new to the Creation Today partnership and we are so thankful for you. Uh, it's, it's always encouraging to see what we get to do around the world. Guys, you're going to love my guest today, okay? In 1993, he founded an organization called Stand to Reason. He currently serves as the president of that organization. He has spoken in more than 70 colleges and university campuses. And for the past, I, I want to say it's 33 years, he's hosted his own radio call-in talk show. He's debated atheist Michael Shermer on national radio, uh, and he's an award-winning writer. Matter of fact, I love one of his favorite books. I think this is the 10-year anniversary of that. Um, one of his favorite books is uh, Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions is a must-read, okay? And today he's helping us answer the question, is the Bible actually the Word of God? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, Greg Kokel. Greg, welcome to the Creation Today oh, Show, sir. Eric, it is so sweet to be back with you again. It's been a while since we've seen each other, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm telling you, I we've only got to be in person the one time at TBN, and I hope it's okay that I call you friend. I, I know you more through your work than through a, a personal relationship, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get to California and hang out with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love what you do. 
I love your show. Is it 33 years that you've been doing the, the college talk? Th it's been 33 years. I've added a couple of colleges and universities. It's over 80 now, and, and um, a handful of them are international. So, I've uh, you know, I've been around the block. It's not my first rodeo. So, uh, but it's great to be able to take some of that experience of engaging people, challenging the issues that uh, that we face as Christians, and promoting our worldview, our understanding of the nature of reality, and helping them see that this is actually the true story of reality. What we read in those sixty-six books, and uh, and making the case that this is God's word to the world, so that we can be rescued the way He intends us to be rescued through His Son. Now, I can't help but think 33 years of answering people's call-in questions. You have to have covered everything, right? I mean, <laughs> gone A to Z, have you covered it all? Well, no, I haven't. We get uh, we get a lot of repeats, of course, because there's a lot of issues that are pressing against Christians right now that have been pressing for a long time. We have new issues as well coming up, as you notice in the in the media, etc., against Christianity. And so I, I repeat some of those issues, but um, for the most part, uh, I mean, we've covered all the basics, but still, there's always questions. It, when you got 66 books, right? You have a very, a very rich and deep understanding of reality that we get the, from those books, and they are philosophically profound. And so, questions come in on every level. They have to do a textual understanding. They have to do with uh, defending aspects of Christianity. They have to do with more philosophical issues. And my training's in philosophy as well as in apologetics. And so, I, it's fun to be able to bring all of those uh, those capabilities to the table to help Christians out. Well, I think we have people that watch this that are literally from all spectrums, everywhere from the diehard atheist, uh, and you guys are my friends, I love you guys, thanks for watching, all the way to the committed Christians that go, I want to be able to defend God's word even better. I don't want to get stumped on a question. And this is a question that you, you end up, if you share your faith, you end up hitting this pretty quickly. Well, well, how do you know the Bible's the word of God? Like, how do we really know that that's from God? How do we know that's divine? And 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 there's lots of arguments against it being the word of God. Um, Barna's actual question was, uh, which of the following statements comes closest to describing your views about the Bible? And they said, is it A, it's the actual word of God to be taken literally? B, is it inspired by God, but not to be taken literally? Or is it C, is it just fables, history, and moral precepts recorded by man? Now, not sure that I would have phrased the questions that way, but that's kind of where we get the 20% saying, it's the Word of God, you can take it literally. And I know you and I would probably both say, well, you take it literally where it's literal and you take it figuratively. Yeah, that's a good distinction. That's the problem with that kind of survey. It's amazing that Barner would make that mistake because it's a big one. Yeah. What do you mean by literally? Yeah. Well, I did. I didn't say kind of in when I was promoting this show, uh, in order for it to be the word of God, for it to have an extraordinary claim, it would have to be backed by extraordinary evidence. That's a claim we hear all the time. That's right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I have a concern about that. And uh, the problem is, and this is strategic, if you get in a conversation with somebody who's pushing back and they offer that qualification, the problem with that qualification is, and I've encountered this many times, that when you start giving evidence that you think is adequate, that you think is extraordinary evidence for the extraordinary claim, um, it's very easy for them to say at the end of the day, well, that's not extraordinary enough evidence 
to support the claim. So I reject the claim entirely. I, I reject the qualification. You don't need extraordinary evidence to support extraordinary claims. You need adequate evidence. It's all you need. You need preponderance of evidence, you know, over 51% to be rational in believing the claim. For example, if I, let's just say I made a prediction, all right, for you, Eric. And I said, I gave it detailed, this is going to happen. Let's just stipulate that there's no possible way that this one prediction could have happened by accident because it's so detailed and I have no access to the details coming up in the future and blah, blah, blah. And tomorrow, when I said this would take place, you meet this person, you have this conversation, they say the exact words, they give you this amount of money down to the penny or whatever it happens to be. It would be hard to argue that that wasn't somehow a supernatural event. Why isn't one example like that adequate to show that there is a supernatural thing going on with that kind of thing? You don't need to make a hundred prophecies. If you have just one that seems irrefutable, then you have very good evidence to believe that there is something supernatural going on there. This is the kind of point I'm making. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to raise the, uh, accept, accept the limitations that raise the bar so high that we can't get over it and let the, the the opposition, so to speak, the objector set that standard. No, we're going to set the standard. We're just going to give adequate. We're going to try to give adequate um, evidence for our claim that the Bible is the word of God. And, and, and if you're, you know, if they, they can take it or leave it. I mean, we're just going to make our case. And uh, in my case, I try to make a cumulative case for the Bible. In other words, it's not like here's this one thing that's going to be a, a an open and shut case. But when you have four or five, six, seven reasons why there's something unique about this book, then that becomes a very strong foundation for the case for the Bible. Let me add two qualifiers here, Eric, to start out. Okay. And this may sound, might sound uh, surprising uh, to some people. Um, first of all, this issue that we're discussing now, I actually do not discuss with non-Christians. And the reason oh. is, is because when you look in the New Testament, you don't have anybody arguing for the authority of the New Testament writings or the Gospels or, uh, or the Old Testament writings before they make their case for Christ, okay? What you have is a characterization of, uh, of Jesus' life and Jesus' claims and what he did. All of the testimonies are like that. Read through the book of Acts, you have that. Now, of course, the New Testament wasn't really written at the time when most of the book of Acts, well, when when much, well, I think most of the New Testament was written by the end of the book of Acts. But the point is, there wasn't this appeal, this is God's word, this is God's word, this is God's word. The appeal was, these were true events. These are things that happened in history. So when I'm, that the Bible is God's word is really, really important for Christians who are developing a sound understanding of the nature of reality as God reveals himself to us. Because there's some things about God we can't figure out on our own. Some things we can, Romans 1, but there's a lot of things we can't. He's got to tell us. I know things about Eric. By looking at him, talking for a few minutes, I can draw some conclusions. Nice looking, baby-faced young guy, nice beard, <laughs> <laughs> pleasant personality, blah, blah, blah. But it gets down to details. You got to tell me, Eric. And so if, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians makes the same point. So if we want to know detail about God, as followers of Christ, we need to do that. Authoritative detail, we need God to tell us. But that isn't what people need to know in order to become Christians. Because when Jesus went out to preach, he didn't say, oh, and here's all the reasons you should believe I'm God, 
or that my words are authoritative. He did it a little bit here and there, but for the most part, he just preached. And I'll get to this point towards the end of the interview because there's a real surprising, I think, twist to this. And it'll probably be in our last 30 minutes. So people have to go into to your site to hear, <laughs> hear the twist. But um, uh, so that's the first thing. I want I want people to to take the Bible as a historic, especially New Testament at this point, making the case for Christ. It's on Jesus, right? That means the gospels principally. That Jesus, that the gospels are historically reliable and not necessarily inspired by God. And the reason, one reason is the minute I bring up the inspired by God appeal, well, then I have to make the case that the Bible's inerrant because if God can't err, then his word can't err. And then that invites a, just a avalanche of suggested contradictions that you got to deal with. And that's overwhelming. So I just sidestepped the whole thing. Well, the Bible's not the word of God. It's full of contradictions. That's not the case I'm making. Here's what I'm making is that the gospels are reliable about Jesus. And that's who we're talking about. So let's talk about Jesus, the man of history, what he did, what he said, and how it relates to our life. Second thing really quickly is even if somebody's not convinced that the Bible is the word of God, it doesn't mean that the things in the Bible aren't true. I ask people, do you have any books in your library? Sure, of course. I got a bunch of them here. How many of those books were written by God? For them, none. I got only like a couple of copies of the Bible. All the rest, no. But these books are loaded with truth. Okay, so it doesn't have to be written by God to be true about God is a point that I'm making. So these are just qualifiers to lower the bar a little bit so other people's expectations aren't inappropriately high when we make the case for the authority of Scripture. Now, that is interesting. Okay, first of all, if you're taking notes, I wrote that down. All you need is one irrefutable piece of evidence. That's really all you need. Now, you, you think you got more and you got a cumulative case, and I'm looking forward to hearing that. But what you just said, though, is also, for some of us, that's hard because, I mean, I was brought up, <clears throat> I believe the Bible. I believe we can back up the claims. I believe it's all there. And so sometimes we want to go into the, the litany of tests of, no, they really have discovered the walls of Jericho and they did fall out. And no, they really did. Look, here's the history of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can still go there today and you can see the sulfur balls. I actually have some here. We want to go into all these things when the reality is, Christianity, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, is based on the truth that Jesus Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again. The third that's day, right. according to the scriptures, yeah. that's what salvation is all about, is that's what it's in. And then to back that up, yes, there's a whole backstory that is true about it, but yeah. you can get there, you can get to Christ without having to have all the backstory uh, figured out in your mind, so to speak. Is that... Kind of yeah, it's perfect. And basically, the question is, what is our goal in our conversation with a person? If they're non-Christian, our goal is to, in one way or another, in a compelling way, communicate the gospel to them, their need for Christ because of their sin before God, and then Jesus, the rescuer, who came to rescue us in a very particular way. And our confidence and trust in him is what rescues us. Okay, that's our goal. We don't have to answer all these other questions. We make it too hard. In fact, the last chapter of the tactics book that you mentioned, thanks for the shout out on that, 10th anniversary edition. Actually, the one that's in the the one that's in the the clip that there it is. That is the 10th anniversary edition, yes. not the one you're holding. I, my, my, this, this is this the is red old, thing. Yeah, you gotta get the new one, Eric. But uh, the new one has 35% more material. But I make this point. Simplify things. Don't make it harder for yourself. Don't throw a bunch of things out there. Don't try to talk about the second coming. Don't don't talk about the beginning of the Bible. Don't talk about the end of the Bible. That's all complication that can come in later. Talk about the middle, Jesus. 
because that's the issue. Don't add more complication. And so in my mind, now this is strategically, my mind, the the making the case for the the inspiration, full inspiration and inerrancy of scripture has a critical role in the body of Christ, but it's not the critical role unless somebody makes it the issue. And that's when you can come in with some of these other elements that we'll talk about. But uh, it's not the critical role at first. And that is, is Jesus the Messiah? Do you need him? That kind of thing. And put your trust in him. And that is an important distinction. I know we, we can go into Jesus referred to the scriptures a lot. He certainly stood on the authority of the scriptures. Um, how then do you, I, I've never put together a presentation on this. So I, I'm actually, I'm kind of excited to go, okay, dude, Greg, teach us. Like, how do you go through this? Do we really have the word of God? I'm, I'm, you have a very logical mind to, to point things out. So spell it out for all of them. All right. So here's, here's the real important question, I think. The question is, what kind of book is the Bible? And there's only two options. It's either a book by God, in some sense. In other words, he's the main author, um, uh, to men and through men. Or it's a book by men about God. It's either a, a product of, of a human ingenuity or insight. And that doesn't mean it's false, but it just means the source principally is human. Or the source principally is God. Now, if the source principally is human, it's going to bear all the liabilities of all human documents, partially true, partially false, et cetera, et cetera. However, if the source is divine, we ought to, we ought to see elements in the book that are characteristic of something supernatural, all right? It, in other words, it can't be explained other than by a supernatural author. Okay, so that's the motif that we're talking about here. And, and then I have, uh, characteristically, I give six particular points of why it's the a book by God to men, and even though it's through men, just to cut some objection off at the pass here, just because it's written by men does not mean that they're going to make mistakes. Because if God is the author He's bigger than human frailty, right? I mean, so the, 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 to say that men make mistakes is to assume that it's a, it's a human document. If it turns out to be a divinely inspired document, we don't have to worry. It doesn't matter where men or monkeys wrote it, for goodness sake. It's God that's in control here. So that's the real question, all right? So let me tick off before our first half hour is over for your first half hour listeners, let me take off the six reasons and give a little substance to them, okay? The first one, and I, I use my hand as a, as a way of remembering things. So the first one, pinky, prophecy. Pinky, prophecy. Remember, we made a comment about that earlier. If there's fulfilled prophecy that's bona fide, that's reasonable to believe was written before the time the prophecy was fulfilled and could not have been engineered in its fulfillment, then it's reasonable to believe that there's a supernatural element going on. Men didn't figure this out. Now, I know that there's a number like 350 prophecies of the life of Christ fulfilled in the Bible. It, it, that's probably true, but a lot of them are kind of a reach for non-Christian readers, okay? A virgin shall give birth. That's a complicated passage, all right? In any event, there's a lot of them that aren't, though. You read Psalm 22, and this is taken as a messianic passage before um, long before the time of Jesus, okay? And that reads like a, um, like a description of a crucifixion from the perspective of the person being crucified. 
This is the one that starts out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All right. We all know that because those are the words of Jesus on the cross. And then you have this description. And this comes, what, 750 years before crucifixion was used as a form of capital punishment. And by the way, the Jews never used it. They were stone, they used stoning. The Romans used it. Okay. So there's there you got that. In Daniel 9, you have amazing prophecy of uh of of the coming of of the Messiah. And uh you, I don't have time to go into all the math right now, but when you work out the math of it, it gives you numbers of days that look like from the time of the start during Daniel's, uh, right after Daniel's life, to the ending of it. That's the triumphal entry of Jesus. So, wow, that's amazing. Now, there's a lot more in there, okay? But I'm just simply saying, if we have bona fide examples taken by a reasonable person, given the history that follows, to be fulfillments later on, then we have a supernatural element here. I don't know how people can deny that. Okay. And uh, and by the way, just for the record, and you we you mentioned this when we were talking off the air, in the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls found in like what 1947, we have we have so much of the Old Testament that was clearly written down before the life of Jesus. We have copies of the Old Testament that that were written before Jesus was born, and especially the famous scroll of Isaiah. And that shows that the Isaiah, like Isaiah 53, there's another one, um, that, that this was written before its fulfillment in Christ. So that's the first one, prophecy. Okay, I'm zipping through this quickly. We actually have a talk on this. I do. Has God, the Bible has God spoken, str.org. There you go, if you want to look that up. Okay, here's the ring finger, right? That reminds me of the unity of Scripture, the unity of Scripture. Now, most people don't appreciate this particular point because they're not familiar with this, the corpus of Scripture. You mentioned 66 books, right? From Genesis to Revelation, there's a coherent story that runs from the beginning to the end. In fact, I, I captured it in a book that I, I've written since Tactics. It's called The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and everything important that happens in between, okay? The story of reality. And it's meant to show from the beginning to the end um, the, the continuity and the elegance of the story, the true story of reality, okay? Our story of reality, because every worldview is a picture of reality, a story of reality. And, um, and so to show this continuity, when Jesus lands, so to speak, um, you know, 6 BC, whatever, when he was born, he doesn't fall into a theological vacuum. There's all kinds of things that were set up beforehand that he comes in fulfillment of. And in fact, in the language of all the heralds, whether it's Zacharias, John the Baptist dad, or uh, the, the, they're at the temple when they have Jesus circumcised and blessed, whatever, and all this other stuff going on, the angels and all the things that are said there tie into promises and comments that were made by different prophets and different people through that whole span of 2,000 years prior to his coming. So you see, and these were authors of pieces that didn't have connection with each other, that didn't know what their stuff meant. They didn't know how it all fit together. But when Jesus comes, you can see all of this coming together in a very profound way. So now there's a unity of the scripture, second finger, that defies common, uh, I should say not common sense, but defies naturalistic explanation and is another mark of the supernatural. Uh, the middle finger is the big finger. And that reminds me that, that the Bible answers the big questions. 
Okay. My daughter, when she was about eight years old, she asked me, why, why, why do we believe God is true is the way she put it, you know, and I'm thinking about it. I said, this is what I do for a living with adults. Now I got to explain to my eight-year-old. Exactly. And I, I thought, a thought came to mind and it really captured my whole approach to this, Eric. I said, the reason that we believe God is true is that he's the best explanation for the way things are. The reason that we believe God is true is that he's the best explanation for the way things are. Okay, this is the explanatory power of the Christian worldview. But simply put, when you read through the scripture, you see these characterizations of reality there, and they resonate with our deepest intuitions about the nature of the world. We know we're fallen. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world. doesn't matter where you lived or when you lived, you know something's wrong. And the something's wrong with the world is something that's wrong with us. And so we all know we're broken and we feel bad about it. We feel guilty. Why do we feel guilty? Hey, maybe because we are guilty. Well, then who are we guilty for before? Well, you know, you see, and you can go step by step through these things. And again, I'm really, I'm tightening up here for time's sake. But um, so we have big questions that are answered that resonate with us deeply in our spirit. Okay. Then we have an, this, the index finger. And I think of this as the index to history the index to history. That is that the, that the, that the, uh, the scripture, when it touches on historical elements, and that's a massive part of scripture, um, can be verified at many points that the history is accurate. Okay. Now this is important in Christianity and in Judaism, because both of these faiths depend on God intervening in history. Judaism at the Exodus Christianity, the person of Christ and the resurrection, the big events there. Okay. These were historical things. They happen on planet earth. They happen at a point in time. There were witnesses to these things. Okay. It influenced people's lives. So there's a way in which this history can be tested. And uh, because this is a supernatural rec record of history and all the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and it's very powerful, um, is, is evidence for God working in history. So there we got an historical, we have the, a record of supernatural events that can be reasonably verified as having happened. Okay, so we got, we got um, prophecy, we have unity of scripture, we have answering the big questions, we have index to history, we have thumbs up, okay? You see gladiator, thumbs up, it means life, right? That means that the scripture changes lives. Now, there are lots of books that change lives, okay? Lots of ideas that change life, for good or for ill, whatever. But you know, the, the scripture has a track record over thousands of years of radically transforming people's lives in a way that, let's face it, defies naturalistic explanation. People's lives are completely turned around. Look at the uh, the apostle Saul, I mean, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, for example. That wasn't the only time that happened. Lots of people's lives have been influenced like that for Christ. So you have a supernatural ability to transform lives. Okay, you make a fist out of the whole thing, and you have a survivor. You have the Bible has survived through persecution and criticism and all attempts to eradicate it. And boy, there've been a lot of attempts to eradicate it, okay? In 1973, I went behind the Iron Curtain working in the Soviet Union with persecuted Christians. We got stopped on the border. I was in five communist countries, but they took our Bibles away, all of our Bibles. And they said, they were scared of the Bible. And I said, why are you scared of this little thing? Because they understood the power this book had to transform lives. So, so these are six things here that, that to me are all tags of the supernatural. Um, and maybe one or two you might find changing lives or historically sound, whatever, might be found in other works. When you add all of this up together, it makes, I think, a powerful argument that this book is not simply a book by men about God, 
but it's a it's a book as it claims to be from God to human beings through human beings, but authored by God. And uh, and this is exactly what Jesus of Nazareth claimed himself all over the place, many times referring to the scripture. The scripture cannot be broken. Old Testament, Moses said. Other times he'd quote Moses, he'd say God said. It was the same to him and many other occasions like this. So there in a nutshell, that was pretty fast. I think I made it under 30. Uh, it, th- this is a, this is a, in a nutshell, characterization of why we can be confident that this book is the book that it claims to be the authoritative word of God that speaks life and light into our lives. Well, that's incredible. I, I, I love the six things. I wrote them down. I hope you guys are taking notes because seriously, these are things that you can share with other people. That's the whole reason we're doing this. If you're out there and you are a skeptic, just telling you, you ought to look into these. I mean, your, your very first point, Greg, was so good. Look, really, you only need one great claim, and boom, you're good. And there are more than that. And, oh, okay, so this is a book from God to man. Prophecy, pinky finger, ring finger unity, big finger, uh, the big questions, index finger, it's the index of history, thumbs up, it's changed lives, fist, it has survived. And Guys, you look at this, and I, w- I can't wait to kind of get into some more of these. And I want to tackle, Greg, in the next half, I want to tackle, well, what about the atheist objections? What about those things that are trying to, even today, trying to not let God's Word survive? I mean, there's some people that have made some really significant claims against the Bible. So, okay, we got to get into that. I'm going to do that with our partners. If you guys want to join us, come on over to creationtoday.org slash partner. Partner with us for whatever you want, and then jump in on this conversation. Uh, to my partners on here, thank you guys. You guys are, are commenting and have some good questions. Uh, I am, Tony's going, yes. So uh, I, I want to get into a little bit more of this, and I got a lot of thoughts of my own on this, and I want to ask about Bart Ehrman and some of the textual criticism and, and stuff like that. So Whew, that was an awesome half hour. Facebook, YouTube, podcast listeners, television audience, I love you guys. I will see you next week. Got a great show for you next week, okay? So uh, is this the last one in February? Legends of the Flood. Uh, why do we find legends around the world of, of the flood? And we're talking to somebody who's studied those. Uh, so we're really going to enjoy Nick and what he has to say about that. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Until then, God bless. Have a good week.